Grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We'll be there in just a couple moments. How are we doing tonight? We doing okay? Amen. Tell you what, I love moments when we are challenged to wait. We may be waiting on service to start. We may be waiting on choir practice to end. We may be waiting on the kids to get their act together. We may be waiting on someone to finally get ready so we can leave the house. We may be waiting on all kinds of things. And tonight I want to start a new mini-series. It's a couple weeks, and it's entitled Waiting on God. Anybody here like to wait? You just enjoy waiting? That's what I thought. Anybody can't stand to wait? Those are my friends. I just don't like to wait. But let's, let's practice right now. Let's just, let's wait together. Ready? One, two, three, wait. I can't stand it. It's awkward. I don't like it. I got places to go and things to do and we got to get there. And when we talk about waiting, it's, it's not our favorite subject and to teach on. And it's not even our favorite thing to teach on because who wants to wait? But waiting on God, it, it's tough. And we don't enjoy waiting. My hunch is that the waiting rooms and doctor's offices... The back of long lines at the store and waiting in traffic and gridlock are three of the worst places to be on earth. We don't like to wait no matter what it is. Waiting, though, is, is what we do. That's a part of our life. It's a reality for us right now. You are waiting for me to finish my sentence. <laughs> Some of you are waiting for me to be done talking so you can get to where you're going. We are waiting right now. We are collectively, corporately waiting together. As a nation, let me give you a couple examples. We are waiting to see the officials that we have elected to get into office, into government, some new, some old, to see if things will turn out the way we hope. Do they have new plans that we're excited about? Do they have plans that are old that we're not excited about or what it may be? And we're waiting to see what would happen. We're waiting corporately as a nation on an economy. We're waiting for a housing market to rebound. We're waiting for the stock market to rebound. We're waiting for some stability to come financially to our country. We are waiting nationally. We are waiting not if, it feels like, it's almost when the next terror attack will be somewhere on the globe. We're waiting to see what that will be like. We're waiting to see if it will hit too close to home. We are waiting together. doesn't mean we like it, but... That's what's happening. Together we are waiting as a church. We're waiting on God to see what He has for us in the next decade here at Grace Point. We are waiting for God's provision here and resources that we need to carry out His ministry. We are waiting on God for an outpouring of His Spirit for a revival that will not only affect our church and our community, but our entire city and our state and our nation. We are corporately waiting on God as a church. As individuals here in this room, many of us are, are waiting. I believe there's some here in this room that are waiting for a house to sell. Waiting for someone to come and sweep them off their feet. Some here are waiting for the pain to stop. Waiting for a child to come home. Waiting for a friend to call. 
Waiting for that test result to come in. Waiting for school to end. Waiting for an overdue raise. Waiting for nightmares to stop. Waiting for someone just to notice us. Waiting for the nagging to end. Waiting for their spouse to say that they really still care for them. Waiting for a new place to live. Waiting for some sign of hope. Waiting for an acceptance letter from that job or that school that we so eagerly want to be a part of. We are waiting on God. And the question I want to ask you tonight is not do you like to wait? Or not even are you waiting? Because we are all involved in some form of waiting. But what are you waiting for? Just think about it for a second. What are you waiting for? The scriptures are full of passages all over the place of waiting. The reality is there's far too much waiting in the Bible for my comfort. I wish there was less waiting. I wish that wasn't true. But all throughout Scripture, we find people who are waiting on God. In the Bible, waiting is not just some strange thing. It's, it's not a rare thing. It's the norm. Waiting on God is the norm. Abraham and Sarah waited to have a child. Noah and his wife waited for the rain. Israel waited for freedom and waited for the promised land. Ruth waited for a husband David waited to become king. Job waited for some deliverance from his pain. Elijah waited to die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego waited in a fiery furnace. Jonah waited in the belly of a whale. Joseph waited in a prison cell. Jesus waited 30 years to start his ministry. The disciples waited three days outside of the tomb. It seems like everywhere in Scripture, people are waiting, and it's It's even worse than that. Scripture seems to not only just talk about waiting, but it celebrates the waiting. That's confusing to me. I don't like to wait, but it seems like Scripture celebrates the waiting. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says this, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isn't waiting wonderful? I don't like it. Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, out of the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Well, three cheers for waiting. They celebrate waiting. It's all about waiting. And I still don't like to wait. The problem is both of these verses that talk about the celebration of waiting, they can see that promise that has already come. And it's one thing when you've been lifted out of the slimy pit and the mire and you've been put on a firm place to stand. But what happens when you haven't seen that come to fruition yet? That time between when God gives you his promise and then the next day or the next month or the next year or the next decade when that promise is received, there is that in-between time and it's that waiting time that we are walking by faith. How is a follower supposed to wait on God? Well, here it says wait patiently for the Lord, but what else? How do we wait? How do you sit in a hospital room and you wait for the lab results? How do you handle the weekend when your phone doesn't ring at all and you're waiting for someone to reach out? How do you deal with 
one more pregnancy test that is negative and you and your spouse have been trying time after time to have children? How do you process yet another rejection letter from a company who says they were hiring? How do you wait? What does it look like for you to wait for God to show up? This is the the reason for this season of Advent. That's what it's all about. It's about waiting on God. For hundreds of years, followers of Jesus have been practicing waiting together. And as we dive into this Advent season, this week, next week, the start is kind of stutter started there. When we've been a part of Advent, we collectively together wait on the birth of Jesus. That's what Advent is, collectively setting aside time to wait upon God together. This Christmas time that comes each and every year, it reminds us that Jesus is coming. We spend the weeks leading up to Christmas thinking about what it was like for those people the very first time to wait for the Messiah to come, waiting for Jesus to come, waiting for God to show up. We wonder, what did that feel like? What did it look like? How would we have prayed if we were waiting for Jesus to come for the very first time? My heart is that at this Advent season, we not only just think about those who waited for the first time, but we believe that Jesus is coming back again. And so we can not only try to identify with those people who waited for the first time, but we can practice our waiting for Jesus to come again. We're going to recognize that God is going to come, but we have to wait. At the end of the prophecy of the Old Testament, there was a 400-year gap where it seemed that God was silent. During those 400 years, they, they studied the scriptures that were given to them, and there appeared to be no new prophecy, there appeared to be no new word from the Lord, and they just waited for the Messiah to come. Now, there's two people. I want you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 21 here in just a second. Two people in Scripture that, that really waited on God to show up. There's many, but there's two that are highlighted here I want us to look at tonight. In your Bible, the, the heading may have Jesus presented in the temple. There next to Luke 2, 21 through 40. This story comes just after the Christmas story in Luke 2. And Jesus had just been born in Bethlehem. Most people didn't know about it. I mean, sure, there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's the innkeeper, there's the shepherds, a few others. But not very many people knew about it. Mary and Joseph were devout followers of God, and so they did what the scriptures told them to do. So on the eighth day, it was the custom of their people to have their children circumcised, so that's where they took Jesus. And then 40 days later, there was this period of purification. You see, when childbirth takes place, it was, it was messy. Those of you who've been in a labor room know that childbirth can be messy. And they were ceremonially unclean. Childbirth can make you literally unclean, and it's this experience there in the the stable. The way we read it, there's just animals, so Joseph probably helped. And so both of them, Mary and Joseph, are ceremonially unclean, and they need to go not only to have their child circumcised, not only to dedicate their child to the Lord, but to give their offering. Because the law reminded them that they were set apart for God. And whenever they came in contact with blood, they were to give an offering to be made clean again to know that they were different than everyone else. This is what is happening here in this passage of Scripture. In this scene, we're about to see Mary is to take Jesus into the temple. And they arrive there and they're going to meet this guy named Simeon. This woman named Anna. Both of them, Scripture says, they are old. 
It's not rude. It's not trying to guess their age. Luke just comes out and says, they are stinking old. They're old. They're devout in their faith. They regularly spend time in the temple. And we see here that Simeon and Anna were waiting for the Messiah. Now, you and I, when we hear the word Messiah outside of church, uh, we use this in our culture for a number of things. There may be one political candidate or another that that party thinks that they are the Messiah. They are the savior of their political party. We think of maybe a, a war general and their, their strategy in war, and we think that they could be the Messiah in this battle, the, the Savior in this battle. In our culture, if somebody has this desire to, to help everybody, they think they're the answer for everything, we say they have a Messiah complex, but not Anna, not Simeon. In their culture, the word, the term Messiah was reserved strictly only for the Messiah, the promised one from God. And they were waiting for the one and only Messiah. Here in Israel, the face of their economy is crumbling. They're burdened by taxes from Rome. And they're burdened by this puppet king named Herod who's building junk just everywhere. Just building stuff everywhere and taxing everybody. And most of it is still standing today. If you go to Israel, you can, you can see it. I've, I've seen a lot of it. He was just building things everywhere. And, and they're in the context of a place of uncertainty. A place where they weren't sure what was going to happen next. They have this king who oppresses them, who hates them and their heritage. A God who seems to be silent. A God who appears to not have spoken for 400 years. And this country is crying out for God to show up. That's where this passage picks up. And Luke chapter 2, follow along with me, starting at verse 21. On the eighth day... When it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of the purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying these words, Sovereign Lord, you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, as my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. 
She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Verse 38, come up to them. She came up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So, well, Pastor Brady, what is that all about? Why did we read that large chunk of Scripture? Don't you know you're not supposed to read that much at one time? You're just supposed to read one or two and just kind of get on with it. Well, as we waited to get through that passage of Scripture, we can begin to see that there is a principle of waiting on God that is rooted in this passage that I believe God wants to give us as great encouragement this evening. Mary and Joseph, they took their newborn child to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord, and they meet Simeon. Simeon was waiting. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel in verse 25. Look at that. Look in verse 25. It says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now that word consolation, it's important. Now It's not just talking about some, you know, win at home prize for the home game of Jeopardy, that consolation prize, or thanks for playing, everybody gets a trophy kind of consolation prize. No, consolation meant something very different. In the original Greek here, it's paraklesis. This word originally means comfort. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the paraclete, the one who brings comfort. So consolation equals for us, it's from the root word that means to comfort or the comforter. Uh, my daughter, Kaden, is here tonight, paying attention. I just scared her. That was fun. <laughs> and and Kaden loves her dad. Do you love your dad, Kaden? Yes, good answer. Most of the time she loves her dad. And uh, when we play together, we had a blast. But there comes a time, every time, when Kaden and I have extended period of time, that she cries out and says, well, where's mom? There's just some things that dad can't quite do that mom can do. Well, when Caden and I have time together, I love to play, you know, kind of a wrestle, tickle, a, a build a fort, knock it down. And we're going to have excitement and we're going to kind of run through things and, and have chaos together. But there comes a point when she's exhausted at the end of the evening and nobody tucks her in like mom does. Nobody can bring comfort like mom does. And so whenever Caden and I have time together and carries away, she says, Dad, I need to know how long we have to play and when is mom coming home? She has to know when mom is coming home. She's waiting for the time for someone to bring comfort to the chaos that dad can sometimes bring. Just as a child longs for their touch of comfort from a mom, we see that Simeon is waiting for something similar. Just as mom was a paraclete, she brought paraclesis, she brought comfort, Simeon is waiting for mom this God of comfort, to come home. He's been waiting his whole life, and the Lord says to him, you will not die before you see the Messiah. And this comfort comes to him, and he says, I can die now. I have seen the Messiah. Then there's Anna. Anna is waiting for the redemption of Israel. Look at verse 38. Now, Anna was a prophetess. She was part of a group of people who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Now, redemption can have a number of meanings, but best understood in this context, it's, it's judgment. It's justice. It's having what should be made right. 
You've heard the saying that many moms have used from time to time. It often comes out when things get pretty bad. The day has gone so rough with the kids and the words comes out of mom's mouth, just wait till dad comes home. When dad comes home, he's going to lay down the law. When dad comes home, all things will be made right. When dad comes home, everybody's going to be held accountable because mom has been offended by her offspring. Dad's going to show up on the scene and make sure that the penalty is paid and that order is brought back to the house. Anna in essence, is waiting for this justice of dad to come home. She's waiting for this justice of God to come. Simeon is waiting for comfort. Anna is waiting for redemption or justice or the judgment to come. Both are waiting for God to show up. Both are sick and tired of waiting. The question is, how long have they been waiting? Maybe when you think about that category that you're waiting on, how long have you been waiting? Now Luke goes way out of his way to tell us how old these people are. I think this is kind of comical to me. And he just goes way out of his way to make sure we know how old they are. With Anna, he says, she's old. After she gets married, she lives with her husband for seven years. And then one translation and one commentary puts it that it's 84 years after that that she's a widow. Another translates and says, no, she's been a widow to her 84th birthday. But either way, she is old and she has been waiting on God a long time. Most likely, she was 105 years old. Well, why does Luke go out of his way to tell us this? Luke also tells us that Simeon was old. So old that he waited to see the Messiah. And as soon as he saw the Messiah, he said, Lord, you can take me now. I'm done living. I've seen everything I need to see. You've shown me the last that I need to be complete in my life. Just take me now. Why did he tell us this? Well, I think, one, because they were older than most in their culture. But more importantly, they were old enough to remember life before the Romans. Either way, you look at Anna's age. She was either a 20-something or a 40-something before the Romans invaded She remembers what life was like before they were under that oppressive rule of Rome. She could remember when God was there in a different form. And she was waiting now to see God provide again. But what are you waiting for? How long have you been waiting? It may have been most of your life. The question that rings out to me is how are we supposed to wait As I went through this passage of Scripture, there's a couple things that jumped out to me, and I want to go over them quickly together. Now, as we look at these things that I see Anna and Simeon doing as they waited on God, my intent is not to give you a trite list of self-help items. This is not to make your waiting period seem small. This is not to make it seem like you just do these quick four or five things, and, and then you no longer are tired of waiting. Not at all. But this is... A real, true-life example of two people who had waited on God for most of their life. And this is a pattern of how they did it. And when God showed up, it was good. Look at verse 26 and 27. They listened for God to speak. As they waited, they listened for God to speak. Did you notice that Simeon, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He heard the Holy Spirit. He was moved by the Spirit. 
When we are waiting, sometimes we get so caught up in, in our fretting and our worry and our concern and trying to do all of our part that we stop listening to hear anything that the Spirit would say to us. It wasn't like he waited a weekend and he just was kind of listening for a weekend. This was most of his life. He was waiting for the Messiah. His entire life he was waiting, but he never stopped listening. The Scripture tells us that the Spirit spoke to him. He was moved and he was drawn to go out to the temple. And he noticed that this was the Messiah. If he wasn't listening, he could have missed it. He could have been waiting all that time and missed the blessing. Verse 29, we see that he served the Master. Simeon lifts Jesus, the baby, into his arms. And and look at verse 39 there. It, It tells us, Sovereign Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Verse 29. He had this attitude of a servant. You may dismiss your servant in peace. Now, now we don't catch it in the English as as well because it says Lord and and your servant. And and this can be sometimes translated as like a a formal greeting of sir or mister. And and that's not what the original language has. Most literally translated, it should say, Master, your slave has been waiting. You can release your slave. His whole life, he spent time while he was waiting, listening, listening. And had an attitude, a posture of being a servant before God. He hadn't heard anything. He hadn't seen anything. But he chose to listen. He chose to take an attitude of a servant while he waited. Look at verse 37. Both Simeon and Anna were in the temple. Why? Because that's what they did. Even though they had been waiting for years, they showed up again and again at the temple. And they worshipped with others. It's hard to worship with others when you feel like you're waiting and and you're discouraged and and you feel distracted. To come to church on a Sunday night like this was an on-purpose choice. Nobody is here because you just kind of accidentally came. Everybody in this room has had a moment when you have been so discouraged and so down in your waiting that coming together like this, there's a temptation to just say, "I'm I'm not going tonight. I'm I'm just not coming this weekend. I'm just not going to be a part of of the class today. I just can't do that. But they said, no, our pattern is to gather and worship, to point to Jesus, to get my mind off of what I'm waiting on and focus on God, and I'm going to do that in the context of community. This was a part of how they both waited. Scripture tells us that Anna, she never left the temple. She spent extra time there. leads me to the next observation in verse 37. It says that Anna fasted and prayed. When we're waiting, we need to intentionally increase our time that we set aside, the food that we set aside, the spiritual disciplines that we engage in to focus in on God. Anna did that. When we are waiting, we need to wait not only corporately, we need to wait privately. Sometimes we gather together like this and we put on all the right phrases and all the right faces and we wait on God and and we're thankful for His faithfulness. But as soon as the door closes at home, we begin to fret, we begin to worry, we begin to do all kinds of our own scheming of how to get out of the mess, the jam, or whatever it is. And we say, God, I'm going to fix this for you. But God calls us to wait not only publicly, but to wait in private. How much time do I carve out in my private life to fast and to pray, to seek God? Say, God, I'm going to wait on you. 
Verse 38 is, is probably my favorite of this, and it's the final thought. Verse 38, I see them both keeping watch for an answer that they didn't expect. They're keeping watch for an answer that they really just didn't expect. Both Anna and Simeon had spent their whole life waiting for the Messiah. Simeon waiting for this comfort, this mom side of God to come, and Anna for this justice and judgment side, the dad side of God to come together. And they were both waiting, but... Surely they expected something different. They thought this big stud of a guy would come on a white horse coming in and conquering Rome, but yet a baby comes in being carried by two parents, six weeks old or so. They didn't expect that, but they were listening and they were pressing in and they saw it and they welcomed the answer that God had for them. For decades, Simeon and Anna kept watch. Other people around them mocked them. They gave up, they lost hope on waiting, but they pressed in and waited. Tonight, I'm going to ask Pastor Edgar to come for the remainder of our time together. I can't think of a better way for us to enter into this beginning of the Advent season, this next week as we kick that off, and all the hurry and hustle bustle of all the things culture throws at us, and even good things in our family and church life, to acknowledge that we are waiting Not only for the answer in our own life, but we are waiting for Jesus' birth to come. Identifying with those who waited for the first time, but we are waiting and, and practicing that waiting for Jesus to come back again. But tonight, I can't think of anything better for us to do, even though we hate waiting. At least I do. Maybe you love it. We want to gain traction. We want to get our action steps down. We want to have our our to-do list with lines through every detail and we're gaining ground. But God says, I want you to wait on me. As we wait patiently for the Lord, He will lift us out of the slimy pit. He will place us on a solid rock to stand, but we must wait on Him. Church, I want to invite us to wait on Him tonight. We'll wait on Him in prayer. We'll wait on Him and worship together here. We'll wait on Him by carving out some time to fast, something else that we could be doing to press into His presence. But I want to encourage you to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you tonight. I want to encourage you to possibly be open to God's answer in a form that you didn't expect. You've been waiting for this answer, waiting for this thing to happen in a particular way, but maybe God wants to remind you tonight that He can come in any form and shape that He wants to. So here's what I'd like us to do. I'm done with the preaching, teaching part, but we're not done with the waiting part. So as Pastor Edgar leads us in a couple more songs, I want to invite you as you lift your voice to worship Him in the midst of your waiting. I want to invite you as you pray, as the song is sung around you, to trust Him in the waiting time. But let's all listen for God to speak to us as we're waiting.